here to visit with her for a bit, and uh, very, very thankful for that. Have to go back to Tennessee in just a day or two, so we're thankful to be here <coughs> with you this evening. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Psalm 107, if you would. <coughs> we'll look at Psalm 107, and as we enter into a brand new year, we're thinking about all that God has for us. We don't know what the days of 2024 will hold, but we know that God has promised grace for each day, strength for each day that we face. Someone last week said to me, what do you think is going to help happen in the elections in November of 2024? I thought, I have, I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not really that far into 24 uh, November. I don't know all those details. A lot of people are already worried about all that. Let's just take January. We'll take January 1st and then see what happens. But God has promised us strength and grace for each day we face. And so this psalm is a very interesting psalm. And it speaks about our condition as people and how God deals with us and works with us in our lives to bring ourselves back to Him in dependence on God. We, we all struggle with depending on God. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but when I was young, people, certain people used to say to me, you're an American, not an American, right? You should be able to do things. You should... You should be strong on your own. You should be independent. And of course, we understand there's, in a sense, a good way to be independent, but we should never be independent of God. We should always be dependent upon the Lord. So as we come to Psalm 107, let's read together verse 23, and then we'll read to the end of verse 31. I hope you have your Bible there with you, and you can follow along as we read Psalm 107, beginning in verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth a stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, so He bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. I'd like you to notice in our text we find in verse 27, the Bible says this, They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. If you have a pen and you'd like to underline those last two words in verse 27, perhaps you'd like to study this passage later, wit's end. What is that? What does the psalmist refer to here when he says, There are people who reach their wit's end. And all of us, God works in our lives to bring us to a place where we can no longer scheme our way through or plan our way through or use our talents or our abilities or our gifts to get our way through certain circumstances we find in life. And that's something that God does in His work in our lives as believers. Notice back in verse 25, who brings the storm? The Bible says this, For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy winds. Who is it that brought this storm to these mariners? 
It was none other than God Himself. And He brought this storm to these mariners so that they could come to their wit's end. To the place in their lives where they could no longer scheme, plan, gift, talent, able their way through a problem. They had to come to a place where there was no other options and they had to depend on God. How many of you have ever in your life been to this place called Wit's End? You've ever been there? Somebody other than me. It's great to see. A lot of us have been at Wit's End, haven't we? And we can think sometimes when we come to that place, that crossroads in life called Wit's End, we can think, God has forgotten me. God, if He were good, why would He have allowed me to come to a place where I'm so desperate, I have no answers, and I have no ability to get out of this, and I have no gifts that can bring me out. How could a good God bring me to wit's end? And so as we look at our text this evening, let's think about this just for the next few minutes. Coming to wit's end. First of all, if you'll notice with me in our text, The Lord that we love. Notice back in verse 1 of the Psalm 107, the Bible says this, the first phrase, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Notice those those next four words. For what? Would you say those next three words with me? For He is good. We're reminded at the beginning of this Psalm that God is always good. Now that doesn't just mean that He does good. I know bad people that sometimes do good things, don't you? But God never does bad things. He always does good because He is good. His character of goodness is portrayed in His deeds of goodness. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And so God is always good. And you know what the devil's work always is? To convince us that God is somehow not good. And when we come to wit's end, I believe the devil often works overtime, maybe gets paid time and a half to convince us that we do not have a good God. That God has somehow forgotten us. He has overlooked our plight. He doesn't understand. If he really loved us and was so good, as the Bible says, why would he bring us to a place where we can't help ourselves out of it? And I want you to think just with me for a moment that God is always at work And he is always good, but the devil is always trying to convince us that God isn't good. Could I show you something interesting back in Genesis chapter 2? If you have your Bible, you'd hold your place in Psalm 107. But let me show you something interesting that we find in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. God has designed the Garden of Eden. He's placed every type of tree, a helpful tree for fruit and for sustenance, In the garden, notice with me what the Bible says in Genesis 2, verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now you say, what does that verse have to do with what we're thinking about tonight? I think it's a very insightful verse because notice where God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You notice the Bible says this, He put them in the midst of the garden. Right in the dead center of the Garden of Eden was the one tree God told Adam and Eve not to eat of. So do you know what that means? 
no matter where Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. If they were on the east side or the south side or they were on the north side, they had to pass every good tree that was pleasant to the eyes and every good tree that was good for fruit to get to the one tree they were not allowed to eat of. And you know what happened when they got to that tree? When Eve got to that tree, the serpent said to her, you can't eat from this one. What was he doing? He was in those very beginning times of humanity, he was saying this, God really isn't good to you. God is withholding something from you. You rightly deserve. But notice Adam and Eve had to pass all those other wonderful trees. Every good and every type of fruitful tree they had to pass to get to the one tree they're not able to eat of. And doesn't the devil do that to us so often? And he comes and whispers in our ear, Your God is not good to you. Look at where you're at now. You're at wit's end. And he helps us forget all the times God has been kind to us and gracious to us and faithful to us and merciful to us and gracious day by day. And we seem to forget all those things. When we come to wit's end and the devil enjoys saying to you, you don't have a good God. That's why the psalm begins, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good. The God we love is a good God and His mercy, the Bible tells us at the end of verse 1, endureth forever. So the Lord that we love is ultimately a good God and brings us to wit's end, not because He is against us, but because He is for us. The second thing I'd like you to notice back in our text in Psalm 107 are the lives that we lead. There are a number of different scenarios that we find in Psalm 107 that are very interesting. We're given pictures of people who are wandering in a desert. We're given pictures of people who are prisoners in a jail. We're given a picture of people who are uh, sailing on a ship, those who have become desperately sick. Notice, if you would, the lives that we lead. These are pictures of us in our dealings with God. First of all, notice in verse 4, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way and found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. Would you notice that first word in verse 6? Perhaps you'd like to circle that. It's the word then. What did it take for these people who were wandering by themselves in a desert, a wilderness, with nothing to eat and nothing to drink, what did it take for them to turn to God? It took them to realize their need of God. And then they called on God. And then what did God do? The Bible tells us an amazing way. Verse 7, He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. And God allowed them to come to wit's end, to be in a desert, to be in a place that was a wilderness spiritually for them. So then they would call upon God. And then He would deliver them. Notice the next scenario we find, verses 10 through 14, we find convicts in prison. Now, perhaps you've been in jail before. I don't know many of you. I don't know your history. Perhaps you've never been in a prison before. But spiritually speaking, notice what the Bible tells us about ourselves in verse 10, such as sit in darkness in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. They've come to wit's end. It's as though they were in a, a prison of their own making. 
And they could not free themselves. And God allows them to come to the bottom of the barrel, to the end of their rope, to a place called wit's end. And notice what the first word in verse 13 is. Then they cried unto the Lord. Do you begin to see a pattern here? The desert wanderers thought they had everything they needed until they came to be solitary and lonely and without food or water. And then they called upon the Lord. The prisoners who were trapped in their own sinfulness now were people who had none to help them. They were bound. They had rebelled against God. They'd fallen down, verse 12 says. And only then did they cry to the Lord. And He heard them. Notice verse 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their what? Trouble. And He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands and sunder. He made them see and He set them free. No wonder the Bible tells us in verse 15, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. The third scenario we find here is another group of people who are desperately ill. Notice verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near to the gates of death. Notice verse 19, the first word there. What is it? Then. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of their distresses. They're afflicted. They're going through spiritually, as it were, a time of spiritual sickness. They've transgressed against God. They've crossed the line and gone against what He's given to them. And they're foolish and they're spiritually sick. And they come to a place where they understand they are at wit's end. They cannot bring healing to themselves. And only then do they cry to the Lord in their trouble. And then He saves them out of their distresses. What an amazing God. Do you begin to see a pattern? In the desert, they wandered until they came to nothing and then they cried out to the Lord and He heard them and delivered them. And then they came to prison and here are the prisoners who had done what they, whatever they wanted to do and now are paying for their crimes and spiritually they had come to be solitary and lonely and then they cried out to the Lord and only then He delivered them. And now these spiritually desperately sick people call out to God and only then does He deliver them. Verse 19. And now we come back to our text, verses 23 through 30. And now let's look at the people who are lost at sea. Would you notice with me verse 23? They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of what? Trouble. Many of us have been to places at wit's end where our soul has been melted by trouble. The once great strength we thought we had, the ability to just work through it, to, to press through, no longer is there and we feel utterly helpless and weak. We are at wit's end. Well, here are the mariners on a ship. If you've ever been out on the ocean and you've been in some of those swells, you'll understand that you are very small that you do not have any say over what happens. You might be on a little boat or a big ship, but you are at the mercy of the waves. And here are these mariners who are mighty men. 
Think about these mariners who go out in the sea and go into the deep waters and see God's works. And they're hard, tough men. And yet they come to this place, wit's end. The Bible says in verse 27, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. Have you ever seen someone trying to get their sea legs? When we lived in England, we would travel from Scotland to Northern Ireland on the North Sea, where the Irish Sea and the North Sea meet, and sometimes those swells would be huge, and, and we would have a very hard time walking, and the glasses would slide off the table, and those were huge waves in those, in those ferries. And I, I think I understand just a little bit about what these mariners were suffering from. And then the Bible says this, verse 28, Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. You remember, every time we see one of these scenarios, it's all trouble and the word then. There's great trouble and then. Over and over again, in all four scenarios, there are troubles and then and only then do the people cry out to the Lord. And in every case, what does God do? He hears their cry and He what? Delivers them. You begin to see what God is doing in our lives. That God is not doing things to us because He is cruel or unkind, God is ultimately good. And in His goodness, He brings us to a place of dependence on Himself. Because all of us wake up each morning and we can feel like we are capable of doing whatever needs to be done. In our old flesh, we think, I can force my way through life. I can make things happen. I can get this done. I can convince someone of my ideas and make someone see things my way until we come to wit's end. And when we come to wit's end, we can turn to no one else. We've exhausted all of our schemes. We've made all of our phone calls. We've texted all of our friends. We've gone to the bank and the loan manager and nothing we've done has worked. And then we come to God and then we call on God and we remember that the Christian life was never intended to be lived without the abiding presence of Jesus Christ. That our Christian lives are not just something we do on a Sunday and a Wednesday, that they are to be lives lived consciously in the presence of Jesus Christ. And He works in our lives to bring us to a place where we become weak so He becomes strong. So we begin to depend on Him so that when things happen in our lives, we don't get to point on ourselves and say, I made that happen. We begin, instead of living by force, to live by faith in God. Why? Because that's what brings great glory to God. God is glorified when His people are dependent upon Him and they trust Him and He allows troubles into our lives, not because He hates us, the very opposite, because He loves us. And He wants us to draw close to Him because this is what God has always intended. Lastly, let me just mention this, our third point, the lesson that we must learn. You know, Wits End is a turning point in life where all of us at some point come to. Notice again, just if you'll turn back to verse 6, the Bible says this, the first word, Then they cried unto the Lord. Verse 13, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. Verse 19, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. Verse 28, then they cry to the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. So what's the conclusion of all of this? 
Verse 31, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. These tests you've been going through are bringing you to have a testimony about a great God. That the God who brought you through this storm can also bring your in-laws, your friends, your co-workers through this storm. Why? You couldn't do this yourself. You didn't have the ability to do this on your own. But God in His goodness brought you through this storm. And when you cried out to Him, He delivered you. And you can bring glory and honor to God. You can praise Him for His mercy to you. God allows trouble in our lives so that we turn our eyes to Him for deliverance instead of just looking to ourselves or just instead of looking to other people. So many of us do that, don't we? When we get in trouble, the first thing we do is turn to, our, to another person. God desires us to turn to Him. He is the one that can deliver us and to remind us that He is ultimately good. My wife and I have three children, a nine-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old son, and a three-year-old daughter. And our three-year-old daughter, sometimes when we went to the grocery store about a week and a half ago, and she wanted to go grocery shopping with me just before Christmas. So usually my wife does the grocery shopping, but Greta and I went and, and we had a nice time and we bought lots of candy and things like that. We had a great time. But when we got out of the car to go into the grocery store, I said, hold my hand. It was very busy, cars pulling in and out everywhere. I said, hold my hand. And she said, I don't want to. And she pulled her hand away from me. She said, I can do it myself. That's what she said. I remember we were, I was trying to get a cart and go in there and all those things. And uh, she said, I can do it myself. And I wanted to hold her hand because I wanted her to be safe. I didn't want a car to pull out quickly or her to run somewhere. And so I grabbed her hand and I said, no, I'm going to hold your hand. You know, it starts early in life, doesn't it? We don't teach them that. That's, that's in our natural heart. I can do it myself. I can do whatever needs to be done. I have the opportunity. I have the ability. I have the gifts. I have the talents. I can do life on my own. And God says, not if you're going to bring me glory. Not if you're going to bring praise and honor to my name. You need to be a person who doesn't do everything on your own. You need to be a person who does things in my power, in my grace, because you're ultimately here to glorify God. And God has a way of allowing us to come to wit's end. And when we do, the devil's always there. He's always ready to tell us, God has forgotten you. God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you when the very opposite is true. And he's bringing you to a place where you can depend on him. I'm grateful that God is with us. I don't know what's going to happen in 2024 at all. No idea. But we can go with God, can't we? King George VI, back in 1939, was giving the king's speech. On Christmas Day, it's been the tradition since the 1920s, for the king or queen of England to give a king or queen's speech on Christmas Day. And King George VI, in the heat of World War II, before the U.S. had entered World War II, uh, Germany had been attacking France and now England as well. And King George VI read for his king's speech on Christmas Day in 1939 a poem entitled, The Gate of the Year, 
by a little lady named Minnie Louise Haskins. Minnie was born in Bristol, England, and was very, very poor. She became a missionary to Madras, India, and because of her health, she had to come back to England and was very discouraged by that. And so she wrote this poem back in 1908, and the poem says this, And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be better to you than a light and safer to you than a known way. So I went forth and finding the hand of God, I trod gladly into the night and he led me to the hills and to the breaking of day in the lone east. It's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? We don't know what the weather's going to be like tomorrow afternoon, much less what's going to happen in March or the presidential election. But God knows. What is better than knowing all those things is knowing the God who will be with us through all those things. And the God who will allow us to come at various points in 2024 to wit's end. But He'll meet us there. And when we cry out to Him, He will help us and deliver us because He ultimately is a good God that does always good things and we can glorify Him. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His wonderful works, for His mercy to the children of men. May we be people who do this in 2024. Though we don't know what's going to happen next week or next month or in August or December of 2024, we do know this, God is with us. And who can be against us? And let's praise the Lord for His goodness to us. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the encouragements we find in Thy Word that though we stray from Thee, though we come to a place where we feel totally dependent on our own selves, that there is a God in heaven who works in our lives to bring us time and time again to wit's end so that we call out to Thee, so that we depend on Thee. Help us live in dependence upon Thee and help us bring glory to Thy name. Help us praise Thee. And be with us in this coming year. We're thankful for a God who will guide us and bring us the very best, for Thou art good. And we praise Thee for it. In Jesus' name, amen.